0: there's always strength and also opportunity in numbers. Podcasting, not to speak of running a small business or working from home, can feel a little isolating sometimes. Often it's just you in an office staring at a screen. Even when you're developing meaningful relationships and doing meaningful work, ultimately, a lot of us are still working on the majority of our projects alone. So when the chance comes to really connect and collaborate with others, it can not only be profitable, but really emotionally satisfying as well. My guest today on the show is Dina Berman a former journalist turned PR strategist and publisher who works with entrepreneurs who want to inspire millions, skyrocket their visibility and attract more clients. She helps them stop being the internet's best kept secret, become the go-to expert and create a much bigger impact in the world by sharing their story and expertise in the press and in best-selling books. So we're talking about her publishing company and the collaborative books that she creates with entrepreneurs and experts from around the world as well as how to feel good about putting yourself out there, being visible and engaging in those PR activities that can make some of us nervous today on the Business Podcast Blueprint Show. Dina, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Very excited to be here.
0: Oh, I'm glad. So let's start off with a completely surprise question what is your favorite podcast currently that you listen to?
1: There is one here in the UK called Diary of a CEO with Stephen Bartlett. And he is an amazing UK entrepreneur. And we have a show over here called Dragon's Den. I think it's similar to there's Shark Tank and things like that. We have Dragon's Den in in Canada. We have Dragon's (laughs) Den. Okay. So (laughs) he is one of the dragons on Dragon's Den. And he's someone who had huge success from a very young age as an entrepreneur. He grew up from a very disadvantaged background and he's just a real inspiration. So he has a really fabulous podcast, which is always good.
0: Oh, really cool. I'll have to check that out. We'll we'll link to it in the show notes for anyone who wants to listen. I I love Dragon's Den. I like the tone of it more than Shark Tank. Like it seems a little friendlier almost. I don't know if that's... Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I love like anything. Also we have, well, I know you do as well, The Apprentice anything with that kind of entrepreneurial angle to it i just love seeing people's motivations for starting mm. businesses and that kind of thing. so yeah
0: i remember back when i was in my one year of business school i happened to uh, to be there and they did uh, it was an apprentice game for the business students in first and second year and they called it the intern and the prize was like an internship at shell oil if you want all the business projects oh. over there it was kind of fun <laughs> kind of fun yeah yeah so you have been working in PR for a long time with a lot of experts, entrepreneurs, authors, people who are looking to you know, become more well-known in their industries and generally. So can you tell us just a little bit about what kind of PR encompasses for you and how people should be thinking about it in the professional context that we're working in online?
1: Yeah, so I think when you're working online, when you have an online business, often you're the face of the brand. And so it's about getting yourself out there. So that you can be viewed as an expert, so that people can find out more about you as the founder and the CEO of the company. And so looking for those kind of media opportunities. And so when I talk about media, it it could be being featured in a newspaper, in a magazine. Obviously, there's so much online now. You've got different online blogging platforms, online publications, digital publications, podcasts is a big part of it as well. TV radio so any of that is what i would call media and looking for those major opportunities where you get to come on and showcase your expertise and share about who you are and what motivates you and your journey and all of that when you do that it helps people to get to feel that kind of deeper connection with you And it also helps them to view you as an expert. And so it's about using PR to get in front of more of your ideal clients, but also to have something that you can use to engage with your existing networks, but give them the opportunity to get to know you on a deeper level and get to really view you as an expert.
0: Would you say that's, that's kind of the same or is it different for maybe more traditional businesses? people that do have like a brick and mortar establishment or a part of older industries should they be looking at it the same way or are there differences in kind of the online environment and the the more traditional one
1: It's going to be similar I think the big difference would be if you had a product based business then you're going to be looking specifically for things like opportunities to get your products into shopping pages or Christmas gift guides and things like that so that would be something very specific for product-based businesses. But depending on what the industry is in general, you can get coverage for yourself as the founder. And that's going to be opportunities where you are being profiled or being quoted as an expert in an article, being interviewed. And so that's going to generally work across all types of businesses.
0: Always good for people to be thinking you're the expert never a bad yeah. thing. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. So, you know, we, our audience is composed mostly of podcasters and people who are podcasting for their businesses. So are there specific types of outreach that podcasters should be trying to do? Are there any that they should avoid? Kind of, What do you see in the podcast world from your perspective?
1: Yeah, so I think that, again, it's about kind of getting yourself out there and letting people know more about you and you know your podcast if you have one but whether it's a journalist or editor or whoever it is generally they want to know there's kind of two things you're going to be sharing in the press and it's going to be your story and your expertise and so the story is that kind of human interest element so i worked as a journalist for a decade I remember when I did my training we were always taught look for the human interest angle the human interest element that's the story part that's always going to be the thing that really draws people in and creates that deeper level of connection it allows people to resonate with what you're saying they can see something of themselves in their experiences kind of mirroring your experiences there's the kind of empathy part so That really helps with connecting with people. And then the expertise part is obviously the sort of building your credibility and becoming an authority in your field and positioning yourself as an expert. And both of those things really help to build the know, like and trust factor as well, which obviously is really important. So I think if you are someone who you have your own podcast or want to sort of be known as a podcaster... Obviously, appearing as a guest on other people's podcasts is a really good way to kind of get out there. But in general, sharing your story and sharing your expertise. So if you've got a particular topic, the main focus of your podcast, then thinking about could you write a guest article or a guest blog post where you're sharing tips and advice that relates to that particular topic that you talk about on your podcast? Or could you be quoted as an expert talking about that subject in a newspaper article or a magazine article? So it's kind of thinking about things that link back to your podcast and your specific area of expertise. Awesome. I'd love to dig in a little bit more
0: to that—that that story and the expertise angle, because I think you know, in internet marketing, it's you know, it's all about the story, and you've got to have your hero's journey, and you know, how you started off and everything was terrible, and then you learned your skills and it was awesome. And now you're selling it to other people and you know all the different kinds of stories. That's just one example that the people can tell. But is it possible to only focus on the expertise and not have the story? Is a story necessary, do you think, to building that kind of knowing, liking, and trusting with the people you want to be working with?
1: Yeah, I do think that the story is always going to come into it in some part, because even if you're doing an article and it's, you know, you're, five top marketing tips, when you kind of say you're pitching to a journalist, you want to give them that little bit of context and that little bit of of background of who you are and why they should listen to you. And so it's always really helpful if you can include your story when you are pitching to the press. And it doesn't mean that it has to be a really dramatic story. It doesn't mean that you have to go into a lot of detail. But I think you would definitely, you know, and it may just be a line or a couple of lines that you would include within a pitch. So a pitch is where you, you're you outlining your idea, you're contacting a journalist and saying, you know, would you be interested in a piece on this or mm-hmm. an interview on this? So I think just including that, even if it's just a quick overview or a synopsis of what your story is, is really helpful because it gives them that context. And then there will be some media opportunities where it's very much focused on you as an expert sharing your knowledge and your wisdom and others where it's going to be more focused around your story and diving into that more deeply and then you're going to go into more detail in the pitch about your story so I do think that it's not that you have to be like airing dirty laundry or anything (laughs) like that because I think there is especially in the online space there's this people talk about you've got to be vulnerable, and you've got to really kind of open up. And I do think that you get to do PR in the way that feels good to you. And so it's not that you have to tell everyone your entire life story. But I just think having that element of what has your journey been is really helpful.
0: Well, I know I'm I'm asking this one of the reasons that I know we're going to be working together in the the near future, or maybe by the time this airs, it has already happened, and there'll be details to share. But the work that you do with people on helping to construct those stories, I find particularly interesting because I'm very much on the, don't tell me your life story. I don't want to tell you yeah. my side of the equation. So like a chance to dig into that is, is very exciting. And I'd love maybe a couple of examples because I guess maybe I'm not the only one who has this kind of idea of, you know, if you are going to be promoting yourself or doing PR or having a podcast or, or building a business online, you know, you have to have this dramatic story filled with dirty laundry to captivate people. What are some examples of maybe those that are a little more subtle or a little more professional that, you know, yeah. maybe less open people would be more comfortable
1: with? <laughs> yeah. To be honest, I find that even someone who has worked in one career and then switched to something else, even that is a story. So it could be that you were working in corporate and then you left for whatever reason and you created your own business. And so you would dive into, Normally, there is some kind of pivotal moment where you think, and it could even be lots of people set up business during COVID, or that was the sort of catalyst for them leaving their job and starting their own business. So it could be something like that. There's all kinds of things where people go through redundancy, divorce, illness, bereavement. It could be things like when people are in highly stressful situations and they're on the verge of burnout. Maybe they're dealing with stress or anxiety. So often the story is that they were in one particular career. One of those things happened, whether it was something that sort of happened to them that caused them to leave the job or that they just wanted. Sometimes it's even just like a change of pace of life and they move from a city. I had a lady who I worked with and she had moved from a city to a really remote island in the Highlands of Scotland and that became her story and she got lots of major coverage kind of talking about that because she had given up this well-paid kind of corporate job, living a city life, like working hard, playing hard, all of that and she'd given that up and she moved to this really remote island and I think there's only like 150 people that live on this particular island in like the middle of nowhere in the Scottish Highlands and she was now working as a coach. And she had completely changed her work-life balance. She spends her days walking on the beach and just like serving her clients, but only working like a certain number of hours a day. And so that became her story. So I think anything where there's like a change just from Mm -hmm. one thing to the other, and for a lot of us, if we are kind of business owners, then it will be to do with, well, this is what I was doing before work-wise, whether it was corporate or whether it was just maybe a different industry or something like that. And this is what I'm doing now. And, and that is a story in itself, because it's kind of like the journey that you've been on.
0: Thank you for that. I love that extra context, because I think it, that really kind of makes it a lot more approachable to think about. And it's really similar to what makes audio compelling and interesting, actually, is, you know, those moments of transition or those moments of conflict and then resolution. So yeah, no, it's kind of nice to know you can you can have those and you can communicate those without having it to be an epic tale. Of proportion. Yeah, because exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think also we see a lot of that in the online space of these very dramatic <laughs> rags to riches stories, which is great. If, if that is your story, great. But not everyone has that story. And so I think it can be quite off putting for a lot of people. And that's what often makes them feel a bit daunted by the idea of sharing their story, whether it be in a book or in the press, because they feel like, oh, well, I don't have a story. You know, I do truly believe that all of us have stories because it, it literally is our life's journey and what has led us to be at this point that we're at now doing what we do now.
0: We'll be right back in just a moment. And now back to the show. I think a lot of people who have those really big rags to riches stories don't really have those big rags to riches stories. Well, yeah, there's there's a
1: lot of (laughs) exaggeration going on, I think, yeah.
0: Oh, perfect. So now you've kind of gotten all of us on board. Okay, we're going to have our story. We're going to figure out how to communicate these moments of transition and pivots and changes in our lives in an effective way. What are some of the ways that people can use them in their different online properties? Maybe it's their podcast, maybe it's it's their blog, books they're writing. What are some good ways that people kind of take away and start using in the content they're creating with them.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's what I love about once you have figured out your story. So obviously I do the multi-author books where people are sharing their story in a chapter and it's kind of like 2,000 to 3,000 words. And so you've got that space there to sort of go into a bit of depth there about your story. But you can then take that and you can have the kind of core of your story. And you can use that in so many places. So you can have that on your about page on your website. It's the sort of thing you could create a pinned post on your Facebook page, or I'm not so good with Instagram, but I think they have pinned posts now. But you could have that as a pinned post, you know, so that's kind of the first thing that people see is like, oh, this is this person's story. You can use it obviously on sales pages, you can use it in any kind of marketing social media posts and then you can use it when you're pitching to podcasts or pitching to journalists and you can take different elements of it you can tweak it and adapt it depending on where you're sharing it and what the audience is but once you've got that outline of this is like the heart of my story and this is like my core story then you really can use it in so many different places Very
0: cool. And it should it be like other elements of your branding where it's kind of consistent from platform to platform? And what's the value and repetition of those story elements for, say, end users of your content?
1: Yeah, I think repetition is great because there's that that statistic that you hear sometimes where people say, you know, people need, I don't know what it is now, but they say like 27 touches or something. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. however many. Up to 27. We we better get to work. (laughs) Yeah, maybe fewer than that. <laughs> but you read these things, don't you? And they sort of vary. Mm-hmm. But yeah, well, 7 to 12 touches yeah. before, before someone will buy from you. And so definitely, I think the repetition helps with that because they're really getting to each time sort of understand who you are and what you're about. But I do think you can have the overall same story and then you just kind of like tweak it for different places, especially when it comes to PR. If you're pitching to different media outlets, you always want to be tailoring your approach and pitching them with something that's appropriate for them. It's like when you go for a job and you slightly tweak your CV for the particular job that you're going for. So you can do that when you're pitching to the press or pitching to podcasts and you have the same, essentially the same story, but you're just kind of tweaking it slightly or maybe going deeper when you're sharing it for this particular thing, or adding in an extra kind of element to it. But yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong at all with repeating it.
0: So you mentioned briefly that you work on multi author books, and I alluded to the fact that I am going to be participating in one, which is very exciting. Very exciting. So kind of high level, what's the multi author book concept? I mean, we've all seen multi author books, I guess out there, but like, how are you approaching it? What are you doing with them?
1: Yeah, so It's funny, it's one of those things, you know, once you see something and then suddenly you're seeing them everywhere. So the past year or so, I'm just seeing these multi-author books everywhere. They're they're definitely becoming very popular. But the idea is it's a collaborative book. So it's in the style of like the Chicken Soup for the Soul books. Mm. That's the kind of, would probably be one of the original collaborative books. And so it's along similar lines to that, you have a group of experts and they're each contributing a chapter on a particular theme. And so we tend to work with coaches, consultants, and entrepreneurs, and they each write a chapter of between 2,000 to 3,000 words. And each book has a particular theme. And the way that I do it is, and I think having come from the sort of PR background, I wanted to give each of the authors the opportunity to share their story and their expertise. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we include within the chapters. They're sharing their story. So they are sharing their their journey that they've been on that has led them to be doing what they do now in their business and then sharing their wisdom as well. So their particular knowledge and expertise or insight on their area of expertise. So we bring these group of like different, wonderful individuals together. They each contribute their chapter. And then I have a publishing team that deals with all the kind of back end stuff in terms of the editing and the formatting, Mm -hmm. the proofreading, publishing the book, getting it to bestseller status and all of that. Very cool. So, I mean, a lot of people
0: talk about how great it is and how important it can be, you know, from an authority building standpoint to have a book. Do you think is contributing in a multi-author book or even a a roundup or other kind of collaborative projects like that? how does it stack up in your opinion to something that's a standalone product versus this collaborative? What are some of the benefits of each that that you see?
1: Yeah. So it's definitely when you're doing the multi-author book, and if you were to do a solo book as well, there's sort of the two key elements that really give you that kind of authority status are having the best-selling author title after the book comes out and it gets to bestseller status. Then when you're pitching to the press, or applying for a speaking gig, or, you know, maybe even pitching for corporate work, whatever it is, when you can introduce yourself as someone who is a published author, you know, and you can say, I'm the author of XYZ, that's amazing credibility, it's amazing for your expert positioning. So that really helps in itself, just going through the process of becoming a published author, and then just being able to use that everywhere is great. And then the book itself. Is something that you can use in so many different creative ways, especially when the paperback version of the book comes out. It's really exciting to actually have the book in your hands and you can send that to clients. You can take it along to networking meetings. You can sell them from the back of the room if you're doing an event. And what that is doing is giving people that opportunity to really get to know you and understand you and know what your mission is and what your big why is and why you do what you do and, and how you do it and and all of that in a much deeper way than they would do if they were just to read a Facebook post from you or yeah. social media can be so fleeting and sometimes feels quite disposable and a lot of people are relying on social media to build their business and it's great but what I love about the book is that You have your chapter and that's a lot more in depth, obviously, than sharing things on social media, but it's long lasting and it's evergreen and it's there forever for people to find on Amazon. Amazon itself is like an incredible search engine. true. (laughs) So people can be searching for topics around whatever the book is on and they can find your book or even just actually searching on Google. Amazon is always going to come up. So it's this long lasting thing where people can get to, yeah, really know you and understand you. And and it's that whole know, like, and trust factor again. Mm -hmm. So with the solo books, obviously, you've got however many 20,000, 30,000, 40,000 words, and you sort of can share a whole big kind of topic. So that is really valuable in itself. However, it takes a lot longer. There's a lot more work that goes into it. (laughs) There are people who are listening who have written books. They're just like, yeah, 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 that was a year of my life. I'm not getting back. (laughs) So what I love about the multi-author book is it gives you that opportunity to go through the process of going through the publishing process, becoming a published author, having the book launch, having a book that you can hold in your hands, having, it becomes an asset that you can use Mm -hmm. in so many different ways, but you can do it just by sharing the one chapter.
0: Yeah. And it's nice, and there's some, some networking and collaboration feel it too. It's like, you know, a lot of podcasts, they have Yeah. Guests. I mean, that's
1: a big part. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Because it's nice to be able to work with other people, even if I think a lot of podcasts, solo episodes often perform better than interviews, but interviews, everyone likes doing them a lot more because they're more fun and you get to meet people and you have all these other yeah. great experiences. Interesting to see how kind of that plays out in the written word as well. And just a like kind of a last point for Maybe the people you've worked with who are also podcasters. Are there any particularly good ways you think that podcasters using an audio medium can be leveraging this kind of more print media or evergreen type of written content?
1: I think that when you're putting content out there, there's so much that can kind of be repurposed. So you could definitely have a guest blog post. You know, there's so many of these big blogging platforms. Depending on what your niche is. So, you've got places like Mind Body Green that has a very sort of health and wellness angle to it. Or there's Tiny Buddha, which has the kind of spiritual angle. Or you've got places like Huffington Post and Entrepreneur Magazine and all those types of business focus. So, if you were to write an article for one of them or even to be interviewed for an article and Obviously, you can mention your podcast in there, but there might be an opportunity to mention like a particular podcast episode and sort of link to it that way, or to think about something that you've shared on a podcast episode, and you could turn that into a blog post and then submit it to one of these sites. So I think you're always going to be able to link back to your podcast in terms of when you introduce yourself, it's like when you have the book, once the book's out, you can say, I am the author of X. So when you have the podcast, you can always introduce yourself as the host of such and such podcast. So you always get to mention your podcast every time you're featured in the press. But if you want to kind of be leveraging episodes that you already have, then I think thinking about things like, you know, was there a really popular episode? Could you take that and turn it into an article and then submit it to one of these blogging platforms, that kind of thing. So you're kind of repurposing.
0: I like that's so a really taking the repurposing angle and dialing in on the key topics, the key ideas, the key quotations you want to be getting out there and making that part of your repetition the same way you would with your story elements, like we were talking about earlier, and just kind of having those come up again and again and again.
1: Yeah. And I think because people do consume things differently, and even if they've heard The podcast episode, when they read it, they're going to pick up on different things. So repurposing is great, because we're all so busy doing so many things in our businesses, looking at the content that you already have. And if you are putting out a podcast, you're going to have so much amazing content already. So it's thinking about, you know, is there stuff that you can kind of take and have it Transcribed or whatever, and then you've got something to work with, so you're not starting from scratch.
0: This was fantastic. Thank you for your insights and for these ideas and the the inspiration about writing and sharing our stories. People would like to learn more about you, more about the different multi-author book projects that you're running. Where can they do that? So
1: the website is dinaberman.com, and I'm across social media under Dina Berman. So do feel free to reach out and connect with me. Look forward to. Seeing everyone sharing their stories and their expertise. Fantastic.
0: So uh, until next time, thank you again. And for everyone listening, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Now it's time for our question of the week. How should I name my podcast? Naming your podcast is one of the first big decisions that you have to make right after should we podcast? And it feels really high stakes, probably more high stakes than it actually is for most company shows. It's not unimportant, of course. You want a name that communicates what the show is going to be about and who it's for, but it's not the be-all and end-all or the hinge on which the success or failure of your show is going to turn. There is a quality you're going to want to try and capture with your podcast name, and that is stickiness. Stickiness means that it's easy to remember and to say, and it's great if you can have it, but not the end of the world if you don't. Easy to remember happens when you're using words, phrases, or names that have meaning for your audience. Easy to say is just about trial and error and making sure it rolls off the tongue without getting twisted. There are a variety of popular formats for podcast names, single word or short phrase, often with a subtitle. These are really, really popular. Think Serial or The Sporkful. Then there are named podcasts like The Andy Frisella or The Dave Ramsey Show, and there are longer show titles like This Podcast Will Kill You or Social Media Marketing. You always have the option to add a with or a by to give you a chance to add the host or business name for branding consistency. And if... This really is a more internal show or focus more on an audience that you already have. You can pretty much disregard all of this and just create something that is going to be really clear within your branding or for your audience or about what your keywords are and what you want to make sure that your material is coming out published under. So when choosing a name, I like to recommend that people create a big brain dump of words and phrases that have a lot of meaning in their industry. And also look at the other products and services that you sell if there is a name that you use regularly you should probably use that again or something just like it in your podcast. But, you know, look at your big list and see what jumps out as being really arresting or interesting, and that is easy and fun to say. And of course, it's always going to be necessary to do a search and make sure that the name you choose first that you love the most, that you think is the most brilliant idea isn't taken. There are good odds that your absolute favorite is going to be taken. So make sure that your brain dump is a really big list. And if you find that you're deciding between, you know, a short list or a small handful of titles, pick the shorter one. If you end up hating it, you can always change it later. It's really not a big deal. It's not like moving hosts or changing your RSS feed that can have big implications. You can just change the name of your podcast. And especially before your audience gets too big, or if it is a show that is really more about the networking or about the audience that you already have, that's going to be a pretty easy transition to make later on. So don't stress about it too much. It's important to get started. And if your name isn't perfect as you're getting started, that's fine. You can always see what emerges over time. As always, I've been your host, Megan Doherty, and the Business Podcast Blueprint Show is created by the fantastic team at One Stone Creative. The Podcasting for Business conference is coming up in just a couple of weeks. So if you haven't gotten your ticket yet, you can do it at pfbcon.com. It's going to be amazing, and I hope to see you there.